Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Runner's World podcast with me, Rick Pearson, and he, Ben Hobson. Each Tuesday we'll be bringing you all the latest news, views and interviews from across the running world. Ben, what we've got coming up uh, this week? This week, we're looking at whether the fear of failure is holding you back as a runner. Do you worry about setting ambitious goals in case you come up short? Do you crumble under the pressure of race day? Well, we've been joined by sports psychologist Dr. Victor Thompson to offer you some practical advice on how you can create the perfect running mindset. Well, I'm very interested to speak with Victor this week because, as you know, I'm taking part in the Adidas Fulham 10K yes. on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I want to get myself in the right sort of 10K mindset, which is a mindset that essentially accepts it's going to be quite painful. Yeah, well, I think the the, the fear of failure, mm. and you've got quite a punchy PB. Yeah, I've got a decent time to beat, so it's not going to be a kind of procession of like you know jogging around and being like, oh, that was my best time. So yeah, I need to get myself ready for the idea that it's going to be you know a painful but hopefully enjoyable and satisfying outing. I think you'll smash it. Thanks, mate. That is me <laughs> manifesting positivity. <laughs> That's what I wanted. Well, I did do a specific session that I think anyone who wants to do a 10K could have a go at. So it was five times a mile. Yeah. And you get between 90 seconds and two minutes, depending on how kind you're feeling to yourself. Got it. Between mile efforts. And each mile effort is, is done at your target 10K pace. Right. Okay. So, and if you can do that, the theory goes, you're going to be close to so, what you want to do. Much like last week's session, mm. where I had to introduce warm up and cool down for you. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't just go out and run. You have to do 10 minutes of warm up. Yep. Get yourself in, in the right physical and, and mental space for this Got difficult workout. Yeah. Um, and then 10 minutes of cooling down at mm-hmm. the end. And that way, you should hopefully avoid being injured. Fantastic. There we go. <laughs> hey, well, good luck with it. Thanks very much. Well, rumour has it you've been spotted around the parks of London with a skipping rope. Yeah, I'm still doing that. Okay, tell us more. It's good. I'm really enjoying it. Um, we were talking about this earlier, and I, I've got really, um, you know, it's not just skipping. I've got really like I'm breaking this down into like how this is going to make me so much better at running. Right. Um, so I've been skipping in minimalist shoes. Okay. So that the the, the pro pro perception pro perception yeah, yeah that. Yeah. Um, so everything's you know like I'm feeling every movement, the contact, making sure that you know the muscles are engaged correctly. It's not just skipping for skipping's sake. This is this is all going to be the the, the groundwork for. A, a great comeback. Sounds good. Well, without further ado, let us welcome our guest of the week. Guest of the week. Here in the studio. Guest of the week. Sometimes on the phone. Could be an athlete. Could be a physio. Or a complete unknown. 
Our guest this week is a sports psychologist who's represented Ireland in the Triathlon World Championships. He's worked with countless athletes um, to help them manage uh, stress and performance better and to help them perform under pressure. So, Victor Thompson, welcome to the Runners World podcast. Thank you. I've given you a little bit of an intro there, kind of Don King style intro, but let's yeah. let's hear a little bit more about your kind of background, your sporting background first, if that's all right. Uh, well, if we go way back, I suppose I started off doing a bit of judo uh, at the oh, local wow. YMCA, and uh, that was good. And then through school, I started going to gyms because I wasn't really a fan of too much of the team sport at the grammar school I went to. Didn't like school, but that's a topic for another day, perhaps. <laughs> um, and yeah, went, went to gyms for a few years and then went to do psychology at university. And then at the end of that psychology degree, I thought... Well, is there anything else to do? And I literally went to W. H. Smith and looked along the, the magazines and thought, cricket, no, I'm not that interested in cricket. Football, no, I'm not that interested in football. Running, no, you get injured. Triathlon, oh, that's interesting. Oh, there's a combination. <laughs> and then went out the first day after my last final uh, exam in psychology and went for my first bike ride and had the most horrendous sort of no energy bonk when I was out in the Peak District, wow. um, which was very sobering. Um, and because I was quite clueless, it was... Uh, a tough day out in the saddle so that was back in 1995 and i've raced every year but one since sure so i wanted to discuss a little bit about um the fear of failure and the idea that the fear of failure might be holding some people back so as a kind of general question why do you think we are worried generally about failing it's a great question and i suppose I was thinking about this earlier, and I think for for some people, not everyone, it goes back to some earlier experiences of what failure represents. So getting criticised, getting laughed at, being told off by your parents maybe, laughed at by your peers, people at school, making a fool of yourself, that type of thing. So I think today as an adult, when you're running and, and you're entering some sport and you're maybe uh, concerned about failing, it's not really... Uh, become embedded for that reason like 2019 or wherever we are in sport it's more about what this resonates with within the individual and then they're learning not to take risks not to put yourself out there not to push yourself especially in a public way Um, and of course most running events there's other people there sure yeah so do you think that there's a way of taking that sense of the fear of the failure and and using it for your your betterment absolutely and i think if you are one of those people where it resonates back to something that was maybe negative or difficult then i think it's important to try to work out what that is but also to uh, discriminate between things today and that event and how they're very different so um yes what does it mean like to feel what are you afraid of um, so say you're afraid of um, establishing a time to do a 10K and, and you don't want to establish a time or you, you give a very soft time. You know, it's about five minutes slower yeah. than you can do. Yeah, Just yeah. And you, you tell people that, not that it's five minutes slower, but that's the time you broadcast and that's the time you sort of tell yourself as well. Then I think you're, you're holding yourself back. You're not pushing yourself enough, um, perhaps, if you want to do a good time. Um, and I think... If you don't make that time, if you don't make a better time, if you're not pushing yourself, what's the disadvantage to you rather than the advantage of not pushing yourself in a way? So you you look at the pros and cons for that individual and try to reframe it not as failure. You know, failure is quite a big word, Mm. but, you know, how how can you fail in an event? You know, you, you don't reach your time. It's not life and death. It's not such a big deal. 
for the vast majority of us, it's not such a big deal. And I think it's trying to see that by setting a challenging target that can be doable on the day, your training is going to be better, more focused. Your delivery on that day is probably going to be better, more satisfying, more rewarding. And if that's not something you can do because you start freaking out about committing mm. to a reasonable time, I think that needs to be interrogated a little bit. I, I agree. <laughs> um, conversely, do you think that fear of failure can be a healthy thing or a motivating factor? It can be. And a lot of top athletes are motivated by, I suppose, what we might think of as quite negative things like anger, fear of failure, people uh, criticizing them or telling them they can't do something. So, yes, uh, it can be very motivating. I remember people early on when I was doing sport and they're um, not that this is a, an advert to do this, but their their father on a bike race would maybe uh, drop them off at the bike race. And then if they didn't win, he would have packed up the car and gone. And the kid would have to cycle home. And this is pre-GPS. You know, this yeah. is this is not an easy task after you've done a tough bike race. So that guy was motivated to, to do well. Um, it probably wasn't the best motivation technique from from parents. But yeah. <laughs> um, he he was motivated to succeed because the fear of failing yeah. was quite um, mm. an adverse thing that he wanted to avoid. Yeah, I heard the same thing about, do you remember Leighton Hewitt, a very competitive Australian tennis player back yeah. in sort of early noughties and there? Yeah, apparently something similar happened. He got to the final of his local tournament and uh, he lost and his dad just drove home and he had to walk 18 miles home. <laughs> yeah, gives you time to reflect. Yeah, it's, a, it's a one way of getting the most out of a child. But you do worry, don't you, about what that, what that then, what sport and competition ends up meaning to that person and it can feel, and it possibly is a, is a real cause of stress as well, I should think. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're stressed by potentially feeling your your perception of feeling then it, it just gets in the way of everything you do it gets in the way of your training gets in the way of your, your um, digestion of food feeling like you need to throw up go to the toilet more before an event um, it just really ruins it for you because you, you don't well enjoy it maybe that's a strong word for the positivity with doing a sporting event but it's a lot more negative dramatic there's a lot more stress and distress than necessary and of course then that manifests itself in other ways in the body biomechanically you become less efficient you're more mm. tense your sense of timing pacing goes goes off so you, you you may start off too hard and then pay for that later on um or really hold yourself back and, and not go go properly at the pace that you can sustain so mm. then when you get to the end of the event it wasn't that pleasant and you didn't do that well and then you probably learn not to do it again soon yeah so it's a real kind of like domino effect I guess that mm. starts off with being too stressed I was going to quickly ask I mean you've worked with, with lots of runners lots of athletes if someone said to you that I'm, I have a real problem with fear of failure or I'm feeling super under pressure during events and I'm not getting the best out myself are there any general things that you that you could say or is it very specific to individual cases uh, there's definitely general things that you would do. Um, first of all, I, I, I try to understand why it's happening for the athlete and then explain why it's very normal. It's normal to feel stressed um, and that's a normal reaction and to have adrenaline in your system and to have all these bodily reactions, the urge to go to the loo, fluttering heart perhaps, more sweatiness, bit more pacing up and down, maybe a poor night's sleep beforehand. These are all normal reactions mm. so you're not unique it's not a, a sign of impending doom <laughs> um and and the reason that it's happening is because of two things really it's quite simple one this situation this performance this event is important to you to you personally and secondly how it's going to go is uncertain and anxiety or stress loves uncertainty 
It's like the fuel for the fires of, of stress. <laughs> so therefore, maybe instead of tackling the anxiety and the stress, we think a bit more about, well, what would help you feel more confident? Right. Mm. And then you don't have so much anxiety and stress to deal with secondary. So what we look at is how your training has prepared you for this. Can you make your training more relevant to prepare you? Any tests and training, do the distance, do the pace, do intervals, that type of thing. Remember relevant, good performances in the past, or if they're not so good, then what you can extract from them. So you feel like I've moved on from that, I've learned from that, I can um, tackle this this event differently. Um, and then maybe imagine your pacing, how you're going to handle various scenarios, how you're going to do self-justice. And that doesn't just mean a perfect race, it means... You know, I handle myself well, I rise to the occasion well, I, I, I do myself justice and then I feel proud afterwards. And and then there's less anxiety because mm. they're more confident. Yeah, that's you, good, yeah. You sort of mentioned the extracting the positives from, from what I think that well, lots of runners will refer to having a bad race or mm. perhaps bad training. How, would, how do people switch that mindset that if it was a bad race and oh God, that was really like, how do you pull out the positives from, a, from a, what would be a bad performance? Well, I think you need to do a realistic review of it um, before we think about spinning it positively. So you look at why do you think it was bad? What went wrong? What was it was it to do with your nutrition, your piercing, not pushing yourself enough, going off too hard, getting too excited, that type of thing. Um, and then how can you learn from that for the next time? And th these are all experiments, piercing, pushing yourself, preparing for events. They're all tests. So if you see them as experiments, tests, a part of the learning process, then it's not the big event, the big race. This is the biggest day of my year or the focus of my whole season's training because that just amplifies the pressure. And yes, there's some truth in that, of course. We can't dismiss it as not important, but let's not over amplify it if we know that's going to make it more difficult for us. So to try to have a balanced review from every race you do, how big, how small, how it went, it's not just look at the bad and pick over the bones of those. You you look at all. What went well that I might want to do again? What didn't go so well that I might want to change? Mm. It can be quite simple. There's a popular phrase now that I've heard a lot of people, it's quite Instagrammy actually, it's win or learn. You say it's either do well or, or you learn. Do you think that's a fairly um, good approach, you say? Sounds good. I think it should just be do and learn. Yeah. Because you can't always win. Well, maybe you can win for yourself, but... For a lot of people, the reality is not going to be that they're going to be in the top half even. You know, half's mm. going to be in the top half, half aren't. Yeah. So how many are going to win? So I, I think it's that you are testing yourself and you are putting yourself out there to see how you do and you're evaluating how you manage the occasion and how you executed and what you got out of you yeah. on that day. And that's all you can really do. If you're going to beat yourself up about not winning then um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of self-critical people out yeah, there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to quickly ask you about, um, I know that um, some coaches recommend this kind of, you've got an A goal, right? You've yeah. got an A goal, and but also maybe you should have a B goal and a C goal during, during race. That was a C goal, not a C, C goal. goal. <laughs> That'd be weird. <laughs> uh, no use for running with a C goal, is it? <laughs> Useless. Um, part of me thinks that's really good, right? Because it gives you these other options and if some, things aren't going well. And part of me thinks that it, Offers, a, buy out. offers yeah. a buyout, a cop-out. It can be. I think it depends on the athlete um, and then how they race. And if they're always just hitting the seagull, then you need to mm. recalibrate or investigate as to why, especially if it's within the athlete's capacity yes. and not just the coach over-amplifying the potential of the athlete on any given day. 
Um, I would normally think of goals quite similarly, but I would have like the dream goal, which is what's possible given your condition at the moment. And if everything goes ideally, what what is possible? And we definitely shoot for that. Secondly, what is realistic? So a few mishaps, especially if you think about longer events like marathons or ultras or things like that. Mm. So what's what's more realistic? You know, a few challenges out there, but you manage them well, that type of thing. Um, you still have quite a good day. And then we have the third level, which is like the self-acceptance, which is just how do you want to handle yourself and the challenge of today? You know, how much do you want to push? How much do you want to problem solve? And some of that might actually involve backing out an event when you get a signal from your body that it's about to go bang or it has mm. gone bang mm. because you don't want to do more damage. So actually, the best thing is not the mental toughness or mental toughness to back off and stop yeah. rather than just continuing because you said you would and you're you know, yeah. driven 200 miles to doing a race and stay in a hotel or whatever it might be. So it's about you making the best decisions for you and you managing you and the occasion well. So, um, yeah, that's how I would construct it for an athlete. But I wouldn't just say, oh, the, the, the lower level goal, that's all right. Just shoot for that now. So if anyone, any listener was sort of looking for key uh, markers or, or a manifestation of the fear of failure, what, what should they be looking for? I suppose some of the telltale signs would be that you don't enter any events. Right. You never actually put yourself out there to be tested. Um, or if you do, then you don't push yourself in the event or you give yourself a very soft and easy goal to reach um, that type of thing uh, and maybe your training is less focused as well and your training's less less hard some athletes um, take it to some extent that they actually don't push themselves that much in training because they, they fear that they're not going to make the interval time maybe or they're not going to be able to do that many repeats so um, there's that sort of caution in the training but then of course the consequences of all that is that if you do enter an event, you probably don't feel as satisfied afterwards because you know that you held back a little bit or you finished really strong, which meant that you did the first 95% of the event yeah. too easy. <laughs> yeah. um, or you got beaten by some people who are training partners and you know you can normally beat them in training quite easily. They're not such a good good athlete as you perhaps. So it's a bit empty. So you, you avoid the big failure uh, or whatever that represents for you, but you... Um, your sport's slightly more empty and less satisfying than it could be. Victor, thanks so much for coming on the Runners World podcast. Uh, really, You're really welcome. interesting to talk uh, a bit more about failure and the kind of right mindset that uh, uh, runners should get into. Um, so thanks very much. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. When you run, you must have fun, but kindly don't forget There are seven golden rules of running etiquette one is shirtless running is the worst of all the sins Two is if you're racing, please don't keep your headphones in Three if taking selfies, please remember less is more Four is never litter, you can't just throw things on the floor Five is when you're finished, have a shower or a bath Six is to enjoy it, it's supposed to be a laugh Seven, this is crucial, so I've saved this one for last. Always say good morrow if a runner's running past. When you run, you must have fun, but kindly don't forget. There are seven golden rules of running etiquette. We've invited our sub-editor and etiquette officiado. Oh? Yes. 
John Carroll has joined us in the studio um, and is explaining why we should all be keeping our standards high. Very high. Good. And first of all, thanks for having me in. No, no worries. See, that's manners, decency, <laughs> etiquette. Good. Or not being a tool. <laughs> Good. Which is how I like to really call it. Well, I, I've heard this running etiquette described as sweaty cat, John, and I'd like to know what, what, what do we mean by sweaty cat? Well, that's a mere tiny part, but it's crucial. Say, well, here's an example. I went for uh, a coffee on Saturday morning and two chaps came barrelling in after their park run. Quite a, quite a clip, I'm sure, because they were a little bit, you know, moist. On the, mm-hmm. Right, and they sat down and they were sliding on the on the bench like a couple of greased ferrets. It was just, <laughs> it was deeply unpleasant to to watch. And then later on, as they settle in and the odor starts to emanate, you 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 know it's from them. Yeah. So it shouldn't be done. So that's an example of poor running etiquette. Yes. Right. Yes. And I'm, I'm guilty myself. I've been on buses and I shouldn't have been there at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, I often find that sometimes it's the kit though. It's not necessarily the person, that kit, that you know that you shouldn't have worn because maybe it's got some residual stench to it. Oh, it's built in like a tick on a dog. Yeah. (laughs) This stuff gets in there. It's it's not going. And we all love to keep our kit for longer than we probably should. Yeah, it's true. Well, I want to drill down into running etiquette. Let's drill. Let's let's do some drilling. Could you fire up the drill, Ben, please? No. Uh, (laughs) So how about finishing a race with a sprint? Oh, I've seen this. And no. you know, you know the person who's doing it hasn't been trying. You right, know, they've been pootling along, you know, looking at the sky and the trees and talking about the marvelous sea bath they had last night. <laughs> then they hit the last twenty meters and they just kick in the afterburners, running past the person who has put in their biggest effort ever, and they just slide on by and then they wave the hands in the air like they just didn't give a goddamn about <laughs> anything. This is a certain type of sprint finish that essentially is a little bit phony. If isn't it's it? if, yeah. if it's done with a smile. That's, I think, a key indicator. <laughs> if it's a smiling sprint, that means you haven't been doing the rest of the race it's properly. It's very hard to do both. If you're sprinting and you're looking like, you know, the world is crumbling around you, yeah. that's the correct sprint face. Yes, mm. the sprint face is a grimace. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, okay. we're, so we're okay. Not just a wink and a smile. Just to finish the race. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with sprint finish, in theory, if you have given an honest effort throughout. Is yeah, of course. That's Otherwise, you're just belittling other people. And everyone, you, you may fool the other person, you may fool yourself, but rest assured, no one likes you. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, let's uh, explore a related thing here. So, you're overtaking a runner. Mm. You've paced yourself. Like, I can't comment. <laughs> Imagine, John, you were overtaking a runner. Basically. Um and I think people, a lot of people have the impulse that they ought to say something. Mm. They're kind of compelled to say, you know, yeah. um, oh, keep up the good work, whatever. What, what do you think about that? Do you think that's grandstanding? Or? A little bit, because keep up the good work or well done yeah. or any variation thereof just says, I'm a better runner than you are. Yeah. <laughs> and we both know it. You, yeah. know, you may as well throw yourself into the river. I bet you can't <laughs> swim either. Now, I would say, before we get into the comment that's made, I think that the etiquette begins with as you approach the runner to mm. overtake. Mm-hmm. Now, on your left or on your right, mm. that's important. Yeah. Unless, only if you mean that, though. If you say, if you say on your left, and by which you mean, look on your left, what a nice tree. <laughs> that's true. no good. Yeah, that's true. A simple on your left, then you glide on by. Yeah. Okay. I don't think there needs to be a comment. No. As you pass. <laughs> You're not commenting on their run. They don't no, need to hear you talk about their right. run. Okay, yeah. no commenting as you pass. Even in the greatest, like, the greatest spirit of the race environment, mm. just to motivate the others, I feel like the passing of someone with a comment Easily misconstrued. So this is a big one. It's slightly out of season, but you might see a few brave people out there. <laughs> brave, brave isn't the word. Let's talk about shirtless or topless running. That's well, men. Yeah, men. Yeah, yeah. All right. If is it a, is it a uniformly bad look? Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. If you are 
Captain America or the fellow with the fins, that uh, Momoa. Yeah. Maybe, just about, but even then, the question is, was your 15 gram technical tea too heavy for you? (laughs) Right. So, otherwise, no. What about if it's just really hot? No. Right. Because they're technical teas, they wick sweat. And let's bear in mind, a lot of people run in the morning, other people having the breakfast. Nobody wants to see that. True. Breakfast stays down on the belly. I wonder if... I'm going to bring my context specific in here again. Mm-hmm. What if you're on the beach on holiday? Well, and you're running. Shirtless running's all right, isn't it? It's just running back and forth from the sea, though, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you know, you could get a couple mm. of miles in. Yeah. See, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that I, I don't mind it as a, as a thing. I think that if, if people feel comfortable enough with themselves, see, I think there's a crossover between British prudishness. Mm. Mm. And what is acceptable. So yeah. I think that if someone's hot and their T-shirt is annoying them and they want to take it off, that's fine. But the British man in me goes, oh, that's not very good form, is it? And I'm not even British. Well, there you go. And you I'm, don't like it. I'm Irish. <laughs> well, it's very cold in Ireland. <laughs> True. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that I don't... I, I, I think there is a bit of showboating with it. That's when, when you've got an incredibly muscular human doing it mm. and they've taken their top off for no real apparent reason apart from that, Fine, but if I see someone giving it the beans and they've taken their top off, I'm allowing it. Okay, fair mm. enough. I'm, I'm dead against, but we'll, we'll move on. Okay, okay. <laughs> we'll agree to, to fight later on. All right, fine. Everyone here loves running, John. Everyone listening to this show loves running, but not everybody loves running. Um, when we're talking with these people, who may also be our friends, mm. sometimes, should mm. we expect some level of interest or should we just accept that our running isn't of interest to other non-runners? You can talk to them but only if you're prepared to listen to them talk to you about their child's latest antics with feces. <laughs> That's true. For example. Right. Or, or worse again, their golf round. <laughs> true. Right, so it's, there's, it's, there's a trade-off. A sort of quid yeah. pro quo. Uh, very much, yeah, very Trumpian quid pro quo. If, they're, if you're prepared to talk to them about running and they talk to you about golf, you've got to listen. Oh, that's a real shame, isn't it? Yeah. But it also means you can call them at four in the morning and say, hey, about that run, forgot to tell you this part. It's hard though, isn't it? It's hard to rein yourself in with when you're passionate about a subject, particularly when we work in it as we do. You can think that running... oh, we're the worst. No one yeah. wants to be friends with us. <laughs> but you can be like, well, this is really, this is really of, of global importance. You know, my my park run time. <laughs> is or that whatever. how you see your uh, see your running Christ. career? Of global importance. <laughs> well, I hope not. But, but, but I think it can it it can dominate com- your your natural. Yeah, I mean, conversation. You put, if you put uh, if there's even the slightest in majority oh. or, or like even like in a room of 30 if there are three runners they'll naturally congregate and make the conversation about that yeah right finally John it's it's not quite approaching Christmas but you know it's getting that way so we've got a Christmas question mm. there was a recent um, Runners World poll on mm-hmm. Twitter showed that 34% of uh, our runners felt a Christmas day run was an essential part of the festive season mm-hmm. 34% said it was a complete non-starter and uh, 32 I uh, said it was something they'd sneak in occasionally. Hmm. What's your take in, in the Carol household? Where does Christmas Day running fit in? Well, I take it as I find it, and I never found it. Right, wouldn't never. do it. No, no, I don't exercise on Christmas Day. It's a, it's in the Bible somewhere. I think it's toward the back yeah. in Revelation. I could see you down at the Crystal Palace Park run potentially. Could you? Yeah, no, I won't be there. No, no. What about you? I, um, I think I'd have to go in the thirty-two where it's something I would, I would love to do it and sneak it in. I just think. It's practically quite difficult and quite a hard sell. I mean, I've started on the, on the on the booze pretty early with yeah. the cooking. Yeah. There's because you're allowed when you're cooking. Yeah, if you're cooking for the, the that's the, the turkey in the morning, yeah. you can yeah. have you know 
a, a drink. But yeah. I mean, bottle. We're, we're talking about nine, we're talking about drink. nine a.m. Nine a.m. here. Yeah, it's a long day. Mm-hmm. You know, long day. Pace yourself, right? Yeah. Well, and we're not if, talking shots. If relatives <laughs> are coming over, you know, you'll need that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, true. Family. <laughs> well, John, thanks so much for coming on the Runners World podcast and uh, giving us your sense of what is right and what is wrong. I'm happy running. to do it any time. I'll tell anybody what's right and wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of what John and and we have had to say? Let us know. Uh, podcast at runnersworld.co.uk. Be polite. His fingers on a button, his ears to the ground. He's done a bit of googling and he's had a nose around. He's a detective wearing running shoes. Carry McCarthy and his weekly running news. Thankfully, he's joined us once more. I can't think of anything witty to say this time around, so I'm just going to say, hi, Kerry, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. I'm, I'm a little disgruntled that I don't have an epic introduction oh, right. this, this week, but I've, I guess I've kind of been spoilt <laughs> in previous episodes. <laughs> this is taking me back down a peg or two. <laughs> Good. Um, anyway, very pleased to be back. I've got uh, three news items to catch you all up with this week. Firstly, drugs. Drug testing. Right. Yep. Um, there is a new way of catching people who want to cheat the system, thankfully, because I think we can all agree that what's been uh, used so far has been suboptimal, suboptimal. as, as one as well editor Andy Dixon <laughs> likes to say. Yeah. Um, basically, it's to do with your genes. Um, instead of testing, as they've done, as drugs testers have done previously for individual um, substances, mm. they are now going to um, look at your gene sequencing to see when genes are turned on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. As as a guide to um, whether or not you've been using um, substances. The big difference with this is that uh, when they were just testing for individual substances, there are substances now that athletes are using that that could be untraceable after even a few hours after they've taken it, certainly a couple of days. With this new method now, which has been being developed since uh, 2006, um, the drug test can actually go back months and months. So 
they've they've got a really good way of um, seeing whether you've been up to no I good think, or not. I think it's bonkers that like that's this is the state of the sport of the sports. You just know what I mean? Like that since two thousand and six, they've had to find a new way of trying to catch everyone. Yeah, I mean it's it, I know that's like it's a bit that's a bit like otherworldly kind of like reference to the whole situation. But it's like everyone's just having to just fight in the system constantly. That's it. You've got you've got to try and st- stay one step ahead of the cheats, and I think possibly to now it's be felt like it's the other way around. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, my question on this, you know, obviously this is, it's, it's not quite a breaking news story, but it's very new. And so there's a lot more information yet to come out. Um, the International Olympic Committee are hoping to be able to roll it out next summer at the Olympics. Um, but they say that even if they don't, they'll be taking extra samples so that if it is approved after that, they can go back and check. All right. But what I would be interested to know is how this is more reliable than the current athlete biological passport, blood passport, as some of you might know it as. You know, because that's that basically measures your blood values over a period of time. Mm. So this is also this, there's also a time element in this in being able to go back and and, and look for inconsistencies. Yeah. So, so I'd be keen to see how this is gonna this is gonna trump that. Moving on um, from the world of elites down to the likes of the rest of us. Another week, another study proving how awesome running is. Yeah. And for those of you who are a little bit lazy or thinking, what can I get away with over Christmas while still having some benefit? The top line from this study is that any amount of running at all reduces risk of early death. Good. Perfect. Yeah. Two minutes. Live yeah. a little bit run, longer. Run for the bus. Job done. No. Yeah. It's not quite that little. Um, one run a week would do it. Basically, the World Health Organization did a meta-analysis, which means that they took lots of other studies um, and they analysed those. Um, they reckon that about 3.2 million deaths each year are down to people not doing enough physical activity. Um, and the researchers say that the latest findings kind of push back from results of other studies that you might have read in, in the papers, which kind of hint, um, which have hinted that benefits increase with more running but might drop off at very high levels. Right. So mm. it's not the case of the more you do, the better it is. Um, even if you only do once a week, it's better than nothing. So the research, which was published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, it kind of focused on 14 previous studies based on six different groups of participants. Now, in total, that's more than 230,000 people, so that's pretty robust. And they were followed over periods ranging between five and a half and 35 years. Um, Each study was slightly different, but they basically found that um, runners had a 27% lower risk of early death from any cause at all and a 30% and 23% lower risk of early death from cardiovascular problems or cancer, respectively. And finally, back to the elites. Uh, This is a news item that I find staggering, actually. The Diamond League um, is going to undergo some changes, and the IAAF, led by our own Seb Coe, is cutting some events from the core list. So it will no longer feature the 200 metres, the 3,000 metre steeplechase, discus or triple jump at all of its events next year it will feature some or all of those at certain ones so they're not all they're not being cut entirely um but they are being culled so the reason why this is being done is that sebco says that um the objective of the iwf is to create a faster paced more exciting global league that will be the showcase for our sport a league that broadcasters want to show and fans want to watch now, I should say that's not just him sitting in his yeah. leather swivel chair in Monaco and getting stroking his chin <laughs> and going, what can I do? This is based, they say, on research that they've done. However, 
They conducted research on the popularity events in China, France, South Africa and the USA and conducted surveys in Belgium, Great Britain, Switzerland. I would say, had you gone to some of the East African countries and said, do you want the 3,000 metre steeplechase <laughs> to be cut? They'd have said, uh, I think not. Thank yeah. you very yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah, know, yeah, completely. Yeah, they similarly, like it, Cuba yeah. or you know some of the South American countries with the, with the jumping events, um, mm. where they're very strong. I don't know that it's a great idea, and I what I do know is that the athletes think it's a terrible idea <laughs> yeah. because triple jumper Christian Taylor has actually started an athletes' union in direct response to this, um, and pretty much any athlete you can think of has has come out in support and said, "Yep, I'd like to sign up." There is an athletes' commission currently. Um, but that's linked to the IAAF, and, and he says this is now the trigger to have something completely independent where athletes can have more of a voice. Right. Yeah. Because as much as there will be some of those events taking place at some Diamond League events, none of those events that I've mentioned will be in the Diamond League final in Zurich in September 2020 next year. If you win a Diamond League, you get something like a million dollars, which for an athlete is a yeah. huge amount of money. They're not Premier League footballers. So people who take part in those sports, the visibility is less, um, the opportunity for earning is less. It's. I, th- I think this is one that's that's likely to run. I mean, yeah. even off the back of, you know, the five thousand and the ten thousand. That was. This is all. That was Diamond League, wasn't it? Yeah. They got rid of that. Yeah. So that's like immediately. And we've already talked about how great those races are to watch mm. and why that's not a great idea. But the two hundred meters. Well, yeah, that's because that one came in apparently because currently the televised version of a Diamond League meeting is two hours, and Kai wants to get it down to ninety minutes because he thinks that's snappier or that's what people want possibly based on responses and the sports that have come out that, that are being culled are obviously the ones that, that did come out in the surveys as, as lower popularity right. um, but as Di Green the, the, the Welsh one GB hurdler uh, 400 metre hurdler said there's no such thing as a, as a boring event it's about how you present it yeah, yeah. that's right isn't it I think a few people have come out and said that there are more imaginative ways to play with a format you could do kind of multi-screen yeah, you could try and get the crowd more involved. Like you know, we talked about the sort of the night of ten thousand meter PBs, but that's made ten k running seem really sexy again. Yeah, yeah, and this feels quite out of step with with those kind of developments. I think the, the Diamond League meets are the kind of like the the touch points of the athletic season, aren't they? And you know, we already know that other meets outside of that, you know, at kind of like Don Valley and Birmingham, places like that, that are under attended already because mm. the sport isn't being promoted enough. And then you're taking the gold standard series. Yeah by its name, the Diamond League, and saying, actually, we're just going to cut it a little bit because I've, I don't know why everyone's got ADHD and they can't pay attention for two hours. No. Well, I hope the uh, the Athletes' Union, this startup, has a has a strong voice and can yeah. possibly offer some alternatives. Do you know what? I yeah. think it's one of those ideas where, you know, we all sort of knew, really, that there wasn't an Athletes' Union, but nobody really kind of paid any attention to it. And now that Christian Taylor has said, hold on, I'm starting one, it's like, my God, yes. What an obvious but great idea that yeah. absolutely needs to be one. Yeah, Great, mate. Thank you so much for coming in and Welcome. informing us all. Cheers, Kerry. Thanks a lot. So that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World podcast. A big thanks to our guests, Victor Thompson, John Carroll and Kerry McCarthy. And to you, of course, for listening. The Runners World podcast was recorded at Number 8 Studios in Soho and is available on Acast, iTunes and all your favourite podcast apps. Just search Runners World UK. If you've enjoyed the episode, please give us a review and we'll see you again next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.